0: Ephesians chapter 1. So there's this mountain in North Phoenix that I love to hike. I've been hiking since I was a child. And it is paved all the way to the top, which kind of is like cheating if you're a hiker. Uh, But the cool thing about it being paved is you can do a night hike on this mountain. And the mountain is North Mountain off 7th Street. And uh, it's fun to go at night because you can see all of the city lights. And one of my favorite things to do is to get up to the top of this mountain, and this place is sacred to me, uh, and look out over Phoenix. Um, you can go at dusk and watch the sun set to the west over the White Tank Mountains. You can go early in the morning and watch the sun rise uh, over the McDowells in the east. Uh, you can see the pathway up to Flagstaff or uh, the freeway down to Tucson. And what's fascinating is when you're elevated that far above the city, you can see the whole sprawl. And Phoenix is actually a really well-organized city. The whole thing uh, is, is built on this grid, and you could see kind of the organization of the city when you get up that high and see the different high schools and hospitals and the way that the city flows. You can look downtown. Uh, when I was a child, we used to go up there, and you could watch the fireworks downtown from the top of North Mountain. Um, it's really cool this time of year if you go up uh, in, in the evening, you can watch storms, kind of blow into Phoenix. We've all seen some of those helicopter shots of the big haboobs that have hit uh, Phoenix over the last couple of weeks. Um, I love getting up there and just watching the storm clouds roll in. Uh, It's a wonderful hike. Uh, But what I love about it is when I get up there, I feel like I have a different perspective on the city of Phoenix, the city that I love, the city that I grew up in, just a different perspective than I have when I'm kind of like uh, stuck in traffic or living my everyday life. Uh, when, when you get up that high, you get a perspective, you see a picture. You're reminded that there's more going on here than just my life. There's millions of people that live here in this valley. And that perspective gives us this view of this bigger picture that we're all a part of. And I always think of this idea when I get up there, and, and I feel like it's a place where I connect with God and can, can kind of like clear my mind and just see, see the city. I want us to think about this idea of perspective and seeing the bigger picture when we turn our attention to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul. And if you read any of Paul's writing, he wrote like most of the New Testament, what you'll find in Ephesians is that it's like a bird's eye view of this bigger picture of what God is doing in the world through through his son Jesus and then through the church. And so as we turn to Ephesians, and we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at Ephesians, We want to have this perspective of this bigger picture that we're all a part of. Uh, As followers of Jesus, as being a part of a church, there's there's great meaning and purpose for our lives. We start to understand what God is doing and how all of us are a part of something that is so much more significant than just our own life when we join together on this mission with God. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks in Ephesians. Ephesians was written, uh, history tells us, uh, by the Apostle Paul. He was writing from prison when he wrote this, and uh, we'll talk about why in this series. Um, But he's writing back to a group of people that he's spent about three years with. The church has started in Ephesus, and he's writing back to them. And this letter, Ephesians, was actually written to a bunch of local churches. And so uh, we think it was written to a lot of the churches that are around the area of of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And so it was a letter for them in their context, and yet it was a letter for the broader church, something that we receive as well as a a truth that has been uh, spoken into our life. And so I want to start with Ephesians chapter 1, and just look at the introduction today. So if you have uh, your Bibles, you can follow on the screen. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2 starts like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus... The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of a wordy introduction, right? Uh, it's actually one of Paul's uh, short and concise introductions to his letters. Uh, but he but he identifies himself and who he is. He's this apostle, one who was sent by Christ um, by the will of God. Uh, And he's writing to the holy people in Ephesus, and he calls them the faithful, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And it would be so interesting, like, receiving this letter, Um, imagine that you've been a part of Desert City, and then 10, 15 years in the future, um, someone's writing a letter back to our group and calls us the faithful. I mean, what would that mean? That would mean that together we had overcome some things. What does faithful mean? Faithful means that there's things that we've endured, there's things that we've stayed the course with over time. And as Paul's writing, I mean, this is this uh, uh, man of high authority that's written much of the New Testament is calling you the faithful. This would have been an honor. There's something about their story uh, that has inspired Paul to call them the faithful. Uh, What's fascinating about the way Scripture kind of unfolds is this story of Paul's relationship with the church in Ephesus is actually recorded in the book of Acts. We can actually see how this church was started and what happened. And uh, what's fascinating is when this church started, there was a riot in Ephesus. Uh, this story takes place in Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 19. And it goes like this. And I'm going to kind of read the story of this church starting up in Ephesus today. Um, because I think it's pretty inspiring. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, the writer of this letter, took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. Ephesus is in modern-day modern Turkey. It was a Roman province called Asia Minor uh, at the time, and uh, some, this significant city in the area. Then it goes on in verse 8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So the the early church, this was one of the names for it, they were called the way. Um, Sounds a little bit like a hippie movement, but maybe they kind of were. Um, So Paul left them, and he took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Had discussions with them daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord and God did extraordinary miracles. What I love about this story is that when the church in Ephesus starts, where do they gather? The lecture hall of Tyrannus. It's a school. One of the best churches. Ever founded, one of the churches that had the, the most impact in its history starts in a school. There's something significant about what we're doing here. In the same way, don't know if we become the Church of Ephesus. I mean, that'd be cool. Um, but starting in a school, it's it's about people. It's about community that are gathered together on common mission. We come together. We worship. We pray. We share life together. We open up the Scriptures. We hear from God, and it starts in Ephesus in a school in a school. And then two things happen. First is that the word of God is proclaimed, this, this message of redeeming love, this message of, of forgiveness, this message of, of the cross that brings about life that is truly life, life that is eternal. It's proclaimed and it says that everyone in the province hears the word. This little church plant that's meeting in the school in Ephesus has such an influence in the, in the community and, and in the region that everyone hears the message that they're proclaiming. Significant impact from a church meeting in a school. And then it says God does miraculous signs. There are miracles happening in this church in Ephesus. And you can read the details on your own. They're a little bit strange for us in our context to understand what's happening. there, There's these miracle after miracle of things that are happening. Um, I read that and I get so excited about our story at Desert City. Here we are meeting in a school the lecture hall of Tyrannus. We just met the principal today. His name's Kyle, wonderful guy, the lecture hall of, Ty- of Kyle. Um, he was going to stay for the service, but he had to go. Uh, but here we are, and we've experienced, I, I just think, uh, God working in our midst, the story after story of just profound things uh, that are happening. One of my favorite stories from this last year is our story of Dane. Um, For me growing up here in Phoenix, uh, one of my, part of my calls to ministry is uh, I got connected with this group called the Lost Boys. There were these refugees that came over from Sudan. Uh, Back when I was like in high school, there was a lady at our church uh, who kind of adopted uh, them and her name was Mama Rita and got really involved. Our church got really involved in in working with them. Um, So a big part of me like going into ministry, having a compassionate heart was shaped by some of these Lost Boys that I interacted with. Uh, when we were trying to kind of figure out when, where we were meeting as a church, uh, we got a call, like on a Monday, and the, church, the school district said, we don't have um, a maintenance person for you, so you guys can't meet there anymore. And I was like, that's like a five, six-day warning, like we need more of a warning than that. And they're like, well, we'll see if we can find someone. And all week long, we were just praying that God would send someone, that, that some, one of the people that works for the district would, would be willing to come in on a Sunday. And they emailed us and said, we found someone, and we showed up on a Sunday morning, and Dang uh, was standing there at the door greeting us like he does every day. And I saw him and, and thought, um, goodness, like you, are, I, are you a lost boy? I don't know, that, that came to my mind, and I, I think I had known Dang from the past maybe. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm from Sudan. And we started to show the, uh, just in that moment communication where we had all these mutual friends that we both had known since he had come over. Um, as we know, he's such an amazing part of our community now, and, and we, we find out that his family is uh, living in Nairobi, Kenya, and over the last year, we've walked alongside them as they've gone through the paperwork and eventually got their family uh, here. And they came on the 4th of July, and it was such a fun thing uh, for us to celebrate as their family uh, came his wife and two kids. Um, and, and at some point, we're going to meet them. They're still kind of assimilating into being here in Phoenix. And uh, I was talking with Dang today, and they're adjusting to our food. Uh, they're adjusting to all the different time changes. changes and, but I was talking to Dang, Dang today, and you know Dang. He works full-time for the district, and he also uh, is in school and is trying to get into med school, going into med school. He's got his next 10 years planned out. And school's about to start back up, and I was like, how you doing? are you doing? Is this you know overwhelming? And... And he said, well, I'm, I'm so grateful because I don't have to worry about them. They're here. I get to see them. All the different things I have to worry about. That's such a huge burden off my shoulders. And I, I thought about this story of how, how God has been at work with, with how much he's blessed our community and how much we've been able to rally and your generosity has helped him. This is something that God is, is working in our community. Another story um, that I was thinking of is uh, last week our, our first mission team came back from Costa Rica about a year ago, we started supporting a missionary couple that was down there working with the church, empowering the local church, and our team went down and, and hung out with Abby and Jason, uh, Torgas, and some of you uh, know about them. Those of you who were on the trip got to meet them, and as we were kind of going through our, our slideshow last week and showing uh, stories of this trip, um, uh, Rich and Heather uh, Morgan, uh, who have been coming to this church for a while, came up to me afterwards and said, I can't believe that that's the missionary that we're supporting, and I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, she grew up in our church uh, in Texas, and uh, we know her family, and it's been, you know, 15 years since we've seen them. And I thought, how, ran- how random is that, that this ch- church in this other country called Texas, uh, you-, you, got- you went to-, to church with their family, and you know her. And then you move to Phoenix, and you start going to this small little church plant down the road. And that's our missionary. And it it was like, there's this, you start to see these connections where God is working and at work in our community. There's these miraculous things happening that I just believe that God is pulling them together. And they're not just coincidences. Another one of my favorite stories is Darren Verrett. Darren's up here on the right. And uh, they came uh, to Desert City on Christmas Eve, uh, the first Christmas Eve that we had. And and, uh, they had seen the signs that were on the street. And time after time, saw these A-frame signs, and, um, and Darren now puts out the signs on, Sunday, <laughs> on Saturdays and Sundays. And he came to me, and he said, when I first saw those signs, I thought, who in the world would ever go to church because of a sign? And he's like, the irony is not lost on me that I now put them out each week. <laughs> and we always need help with the signs. And so if you're interested in helping, me and Darren and Tyler would love it. You could talk to him. Um, but, but just these different stories of, of how God has brought people together and been at work. And, and there's miraculous things happening. God is at work here. We started this church and this community and a school. The message of God's love is being proclaimed. Miraculous things are at work. There's story after story I want to keep getting to, but we're on a time crunch here. So um, we'll share more as the series goes on. There's so many things to celebrate that God is at work in our midst. The story continues. So one of the best churches in history starts in a school. And in Ephesus, uh, there's this kind of daunting line that happens in Acts 19.23. It says, about that time there arose a great disturbance in the way. Which sounds like something off of Star Wars. I sense a great disturbance in the (laughs) force. A great disturbance in the way. So something happens that creates tension. It says, a silversmith named Demetrius Who made silver shrines to Artemis, who was one of the local gods, local idols, brought in a lot of business for craftsmen there. And he called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And as you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. So this is, again, reiterating the influence that this church in Ephesus has. It's affected the whole province of Asia, and it's now affecting the economy there. He says that gods are made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also, and I'm so noble about this, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Then it says, when they heard this, they were furious. This disturbance comes. The church that is proclaiming this message of God's redeeming love is changing the culture. It's transforming the culture. That's good news to some, and that's not good news to everybody. And this person, Artemis, who the first thing that comes out of his mouth is how it's affecting his wealth. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is this this world that he has been building um, is affected, and he's upset about it. And what we find is that his economy and his wealth is coming from uh, this, this oppressive religious practice of the worship of Artemis, where there's all sorts of things that are entangled here, all sorts of superstitions that keep people trapped in it, and he's profiting off of it. And the church comes in and it starts to declare, you don't need to do that. There's this God who loves you and you don't need to do these things that you have to do to Artemis to keep the gods happy. And it disrupts, it disrupts Demetrius' trade. And he's frustrated. And And I think there's something here that you'll find is that a church, when it's healthy, when it's doing its job, always challenges the local cultural idols that entrap people. A church... The, the work that we do is we help set people free of the things that the culture entraps them with. And, and we think, well, we don't have like temples to Artemis here, right? Like, we don't have those kind of idols. And, but the truth is, there are things that fight for our heart. And there are things that entrap our heart. And if you would look at just even the demographic of North Phoenix, what you find is a lot of brokenness. We have broken families. We have broken relationships. We have things in, in this life that we pursue and, and because of uh, some of the things that have happened to us, we, we turn to as, as coping devices, we turn to, uh, to try to, to meet needs in our life. There's all sorts of idols that entangle us and ensnare us. Maybe it's power, maybe it's sex, maybe it's image. Maybe it's things that aren't necessarily evil, but, but they just consume us. And the church, we have this message that says, you were meant for for life that is life to the full, life that is truly life, and that life is found in Christ. And all of these things that, that are material, that we, we turn to to try to fill these voids in our heart, leave us empty and more entangled and trapped. And God wants us to know there's something better for us. We're a part of this eternal kingdom. We're meant to live free. And yet, that's always something that can infuriate people who benefit from the things that entrap others. There's idols that the church starts to deconstruct to bring about freedom for people to live the life that God has designed. Part of our role as a church, and I think there's a lot of roles that we have, is to say, where are the unhealthy things of our culture, and how do we help people walk through them and get out of them to find freedom? And that starts with us. How do we find freedom in Christ, removing these things that entangle us? The other thing that's interesting here is that I I see this throughout Scripture, is that there's something deeply connected with our worship and our wallets. And for for this guy, Demetrius, it's hitting his wallet, and he has such a hard time with it. And so often, like, what reveals where our heart is, is we can kind of trace where our wallet goes. One of the biggest idols that we face in this culture is this, this idea of more, we need more, we need more resources, And resources are a great thing if they don't captivate our hearts and entrap us. Of all the different reasons that we're called to be generous, the offerings and tithes of a church, there's a number of reasons why we do it. But one we don't talk about very often. We talk about the obedience and the blessing that comes from giving. But we don't want anything in this world to be an idol that captures our heart. And this act of of generosity of the church says... I control my money. My money doesn't control me. And I live my life for God. I don't live my life for this other thing. And that is, there's a tension that comes. There's a disturbance that comes with that. And here we have this story in Ephesus where there's something tightly connected between Demetrius' wallet and what he worships. And there's this reminder that we serve a different God. We don't get entrapped by things of this world. The church sets people free to live life of freedom. And we do that, we become gifts to the world around us. It says that the people were furious here. And what happens is there's this riot that starts. Verse 28 says, The people began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And soon the whole city was in an uproar. This is a massive city. The whole city is in an uproar. The people seized Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. And Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. And even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Um, the nerd of me is going to come out now. There, this is a photo of uh, the theater in Ephesus. I think we've got a photo. Yes. It's massive. This is Ephesus is one of the largest cities uh, in, the Roman, in the Roman Empire. This theater seats anywhere from 25,000 to 50,000 people. Remember, people were like shorter back then, so maybe like 50,000. But you can look at this, you imagine, it's full of people in an uproar. And Paul's like, I want to enter that. I want to go into that and face the screaming crowd. Because I'm so convicted and believe that this message about this God of love and freedom and redemption, it needs to be heard. And his friends are like, you're not entering that. You are not going in there. They will, you will be dead. They will kill you. You will be destroyed. And we see this courage from Paul that says, I don't care. And he's trying to get to this theater. And I try to imagine like Demetrius at the bottom uh, stirring up this crowd in Ephesus. And the intensity of that moment. Sometimes we forget these are real stories about real people that go through stress and emotions and fear and Paul's fearless. He's so excited about what God has put on his heart that he doesn't care what the crowds say. And what we find is that church plants have this ability to go into places of uncertainty and thrive. When we started Desert City, it's it is like, you know, entrepreneurial, starting a kind of it's a startup. I read this book called The Lean Startup, and it was talking about how many startup companies fail, like an alarming amount of startup companies don't make it. Um, and, and this person that wrote A Lean Startup talked about like, entrepreneurship is, you're, you're basically developing and releasing a new product into a marketplace in conditions of extreme uncertainty. And I think it's very similar with the church. It's very similar with the church plant to be a part of this is there's all sorts of uncertainty. There's all sorts of resistance not only are we fighting just like the resistance of like typical startups, but then you add this spiritual warfare aspect and know that the evil one doesn't want us to succeed. There's all sorts of this resistance that we're faced with, but we courageously say we take on the uncertainty because of this calling God has placed in our heart. And the same courage that Paul has when he goes to this theater, is the same courage that we have here at Desert City to say, we believe this message is a message of love, freedom, and redemption, and we proclaim it. Church plants thrive in that uncertainty. And we've seen that over the last three years, and we will continue to see that as we gather here today. Because the mission that we're a part of is from the creator of the universe, the God who resurrects the dead, the God who works miracles, is with us. So when Paul's writing to this church, some 10, 15 years later, and he's in prison again, he has these words, to the faithful in Ephesus in Christ Jesus. Those who are a part of that genesis of a church there, those who continue to stay faithful in the midst of the cultural resistance, they're still there. And Paul's writing back to them and encouraging them and he's drawing from the story saying the faithful in Christ Jesus. And what we find, this phrase, the faithful in Christ Jesus is so significant. Faithful Maybe you could say because Christ Jesus. The reason that they've been able to overcome everything that they overcame is because of Christ. Because of Christ. I heard Ralph Martin say this about the book of Ephesians. He's summarizing it, saying that Paul's, it's, it's, he calls them to realize the full wealth of treasure available by the enthronement, the enthronement of Christ as the head of the universe. That's kind of a mouthy phrase. Let me say it again. He calls them to realize the full wealth of treasure available by the enthronement of Christ as the head of the universe. Says so you faithful in Christ, be reminded because of who is inside of you, you have access to immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. This God who has created the universe, this God who has overcome sin and death is with you. Start to live up to this calling that God has placed on your life. The spirit of this living God is with you, empowering you. The faithful in Christ Jesus. Eugene Peterson has this paraphrase of Ephesians. And this is kind of where we get the idea of uh, this series. Talks about this, about Christ. He says, Christ, he is in charge of it all. Has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Everything we do is centered on Christ. Christ. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which everything, he fills everything with his presence. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. If Christ is our center, this is the body of Christ. To be belong to a church, to be a part of this community is a sacred thing. Each one of us is given this task. We've been given spiritual gifts to be a part of this corporate mission together. There's relationships, accountability, love. There's stuff that we can do together that we can't do alone in this life. Christ is the center of it all, and we are the body of Christ here on earth. We center our lives around these sacred communities, whether it's Desert City, whether it's large churches, small churches, it's a global church, it's a historic church, but we're all a part of it. And we invite you to be a part of it. The greeting ends with the famous way Paul would end these greetings saying, grace and peace to you. And if I could describe life with Christ, it would be with this idea of grace and peace. Grace is a gift Peace is evidence of that gift. Grace, this action from God, peace, this effect of that gift. This last week, I went to visit the Haggadons. And I'll close with this, Tim, if you want to come back up. Um, I went to visit the Haggadons in the hospital. Some of you know Tom and Libby. They just had their second child a couple weeks ago, baby Henry, a boy. So now they have a girl and a boy. Um, they get home from the hospital and then find out that there's, Henry's acting strange. And they see that Henry has this uh, sore on his upper lip. They think maybe he's just kind of breaking out and something. But the sore continues to grow. Henry starts kind of acting strange. And they decide, make a few phone calls, you know, WebMD, freak out. Let's go to the hospital. And sure enough, they get to the hospital. And they're like, we're glad you came in here. This does not look good. There's a possibility of staph infection on a two-week-old baby. So Tom and Libby are, you know, freaking out. They go through all these tests. They're trying to figure out what's wrong uh, with, with baby Henry. And by the time I was traveling, by the time I got back and visited him in the hospital, they had been there for three days. It turns out that uh, baby Henry has MRSA on his upper lip. And then he has E. coli. He's got a, uh, an infection, a UTI. And, uh, and it took a while to figure out what that was. He goes through a bunch of different tests. And Tom and Libby are just absolutely exhausted. If you ever had, you know, gone into the hospital with, with a baby, you know kind of the weight that you feel with that. And they have a, you know, two-year-old, almost two, Eleanor, that was with them. By the time I get to the hospital, they've been able to diagnose what it is and treat it. And the doctors come in and say, we know what it is. We can treat it now. The baby's going to be fine. But you need to be here in the hospital um, for about another week. We want to make sure that this is, the baby's okay. It's exhausting, and Tom and Libby say, okay. They end up getting out, out a little bit early. But by the time I show up, I go in there knowing I can't imagine what they've been through. But when I walk into the room, uh, Libby's mom's in town. Uh, Eleanor's running around the hospital room, and, and Libby's uh, feeding Henry. There's just calm, there's this peace in the room. And you could, you could, it was the kind of peace that comes from parents who are uncertain about something and know there's something wrong and then get a clear answer and then get a cure and a remedy and are now on the other side of that extreme feeling. There was this overwhelming peace. We know that Henry's going to be okay. He's been treated and he's getting better. And it wasn't like super joyful, but it was this, I believe peace that passes understanding. And we know now our baby's going to live. He's going to be fine. And just to sit with them, I brought them chips and guac. <laughs> and sit in that moment. And it was like, oh, this, this huge kind of collective sigh of relief. Grace and peace. If I could describe our Christian life. We, we live these lives where we know something is broken. We know there's something wrong. Uh, we, we have these different things that, that entangle us and entrap us. But grace that comes in Jesus is this cure that diagnoses our problem, gives us a cure, and we know that we're going to be okay. And on the other side of that is peace. We know we've been treated. And at the same time, we're, we're getting well. And there's this peace that everything's going to be okay because of what God is doing in our life. This life that we live is that peace. We know where we're headed, what we're about. Everything's going to be great. Maybe today you've never experienced that grace. Or maybe today you're not living in that peace. When Paul's writing to the church, he's reminding him that this life of following Jesus is about grace and, peace. and we invite you to that today. The grace that comes with an encounter with Jesus. The grace of the cross that takes all the things that, that we've done wrong, all the mistakes that we've made, and absorbs the punishment for it. The grace that comes from his love that covers a multitude of sins. The grace of the cross that covers the punishment for all the things that have been done to us and then the peace that follows it. We offer that today, to be a part of this life of Christ, to experience his grace and his peace. Tim's going to come up, close us with a time of uh, prayer. Maybe today uh, your, your life is, uh, feels out of control. Maybe there's this great disturbance in how you're living. Maybe you've never had an encounter with Jesus If you're in that today, we'd just like to pray with you, pray for you. And we're going to take a few moments to pray before we lead to communion. Or maybe you're just not experiencing peace, the kind of peace that reminds you that God is in control, he's got this. He's watching over you, you're getting well. Today as we pray, what I'd like you to do, is something that's kind of old-fashioned that churches do, is if you would like prayer for grace, I'd love for you to just open your eyes and look up at me. And we'll pray for grace. And after that, peace. If you just like to experience peace today, we'll do that as well. And then after I pray, we're going to move to communion. Communion is something sacred that we do each week that reminds us of this grace and peace. We take a piece of bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. This is grace. His death brings about life for us. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood that was shed and poured out. We remember the grace of God on the cross and we proclaim it and live in peace. When I mean, you're comfortable, you can move to communion, but let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for this story that we're a part of. We look back 2,000 years to this church in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey, this faithful group of people that did significant things because they lived life with you. We wanna be reminded of that story, Lord, this rich heritage that we have as a church. And that today we acknowledge that there are cultural idols, there are things that entrap our heart, there are things that we chase after. And Lord, we need your grace. And we pray for this moment right now that your grace would just come into this place. A gift, a cure, hope. (laughs) That you would stir our hearts. If you'd like a prayer blessing today, for grace, please look up. Lord you hear the cry of our hearts your grace is sufficient in the midst of our weakness we pray your blessing of grace today Lord on this community Lord the peace that passes understanding the peace that allows us to be faithful in the midst of opposition we ask for that today Lord if you'd like a prayer for peace please look up Lord, we know that peace is a fruit of your spirit. We need that today, Lord. The calm of your love, your sovereignty, that we are living that today. We pray for your peace today, Lord. Empower your church. We love you. In your son's name, we pray.